Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another weekly installment of the Duo Sense podcast. As always, I am your host with the most, Andrew Roscoe, joined by my ever loyal co host, the unnecessary one, the badger of the high desert. He's always down for the cause, never down for the count. What's up, guys? Johnny. Came in before I said your name, but that's okay. That's okay. Johnny, how do you like that intro? It works. Have you heard that phrase? Never, always down for the cause, never down for the count? I have not heard that intro, no. Uh, let's, uh, Say it again? Always down for the cause, but never down for the count? No, I haven't. Okay, we'll just leave it there. So what do we got today? <laughs> All right, we have three uh, news stories for the week. Uh, I mean, this past week, there's been some stuff. It's been mostly slow. The biggest news, not the biggest news, but one of the major things that I didn't include, I'll just mention right now, is that uh, apparently the pre-orders for the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, like, knocked Resident Evil 8 out of its, like, top place for the week compared, like, in terms of, like, sales. Mm-hmm. So, like, Resident Evil 8's, like, top spot in sales has already been knocked off by a, a trilogy of games that are, like, almost 10 years old at this point. So I thought that was interesting, but not interesting enough to make, like, an official, like, article, to read an article about it. Just wanted to throw that little tidbit out there. Does that make sense to you, Johnny? Do you think? I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, You're a big Mass Effect guy. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, dude. Because it doesn't have anything to offer me, so I don't know who's buying these games. Is it the the old crowd? I imagine it's people, or? a mixture of nostalgia and a mixture of people who, like, never got around to them originally. Because, like, the last time I've heard anything about Mass Effect 3 was, like, what, 2011? Was it when it came out? 2010, around there? The last time you heard about Mass Effect? Mass Effect 3. What was the last one? Andromeda. No, no, no. Besides that one, 3. The trilogy is what's yeah, for yeah, sale. Yeah, 3. I, I think that was, like, 12 or 13. Definitely before 13, I think. So, there's like a whole like decade of people who like never played the... Probably, this is like the first time playing those games again. Mm-hmm. For the first time, so... That could be why, that's what I'm guessing. It could just be that Resident Evil doesn't have like legs to stand for like the whole, for like continued sales. Like it probably sold most of its copies like in the first week and then it just has like, just a huge drop off. Like, okay, big lady, we get it. Like that's the, that's the main draw, we got it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So anyways... We're going to jump in. Johnny's like still thinking, but we're going to jump into the next thing. The first of our major stories is that Sony is reportedly working on 25 games for PS5 right now, half of which are new IP. This story comes to us from Eurogamer, written by Emma Kent. Emma Kent. She starts off saying, well, it sure sounds like the PlayStation Studios, sounds like PlayStation Studios have been beavering away. That's a very interesting metaphor. Beavering away. Or in, What does that mean? I imagine they're Chopping busy because the they're busy because beavers are Chopping busy beavers. Kind of. Busy beavers. I mean, okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. They've been beavering. I just, we just tell developers just like, I don't know. <laughs> beavering away, creating first party games for the PlayStation 5. As an interview has revealed, Sony currently has 25 PS5 titles in the works, half of which are new IP. Speaking to Wired, Gorilla co founder Herman Holst shared the numbers and said there's an incredible amount of variety originating from different regions in the pipeline with a mixture of big, small, and different games. There are, of course, several first-party games we already know about, including Ratchet & Clank, Rift Apart, Horizon Forbidden West, Gran Turismo 7, and God of War Ragnarok. Yet that still leaves plenty of games unaccounted for. The way the PlayStation Studios brands... I'm sorry, the way the PlayStation Studios brand works, however, means that not all of these mystery games will necessarily be made by Sony-owned studios. Back when the brand was announced, Senior Vice President Eric Lempel told GameIndustry.biz 
that the PlayStation Studios brand doesn't mean that we outright own the developer, but it just means we brought it up as a first party. In a lot of cases, we don't own the developer. So as noted by The Verge, the number likely includes games from outside studios like Haven Studios, which was, like, I think, that new one that just got uh, mentioned by... Um, that's a new one that Jade Raymond started, remember I told you, I think? Haven Studios? Yeah, what did you say she worked on? Uh, Assassin's Creed, was it? Yeah. And Ember Lab, which is making Kenna Bridge of Spirits. I can never tell if it's Kenna or Kena, but I'm just saying Kenna Bridge of Spirits. Some of these games could be on a similar scale to Returnal, another title made under the PlayStation Studios brand by independent developer Housemark. And it's fair to say that one turned out pr- that one turned out pretty well. And then they put in the parentheses, we certainly thought so. And that's like a link to the review. So it seems there are plenty of new games for the PS5 on the horizon. Even if the jury's out on exactly what these will be, all you have to do now is actually get your hands on a PS5, which could be tricky. It was for me. Seeing as Sony anticipates supply problems to run into 2022. Okay, so that is the end of the article. I accidentally read the whole thing. It's a short article. It's only like four paragraphs. So that's the, if you guys want to read that or check out the links to those, that's on Eurogamer.net. Johnny, how do you feel about that? How do you feel knowing there's right, so, 25 games? So help me do the math on this. It's about 25 games and the lifespan of the PS5 is five to seven years. I have no idea. I can't see that far in the future. Well, that's what I've heard before. It's about five to seven years for the cycle. Okay. So that means there's about one game every quarter. And that's the games that they're working on. What about if they, they hit us with some some sequels, you know, towards the end of the generation? Yeah, that's what I'm pretty sure that's not the plan. That's not like the only games they're going to be doing, right? Because they don't know, like... Yeah, I'm assuming it's more than 25 for the Yeah, we don't game. know how well, like, a certain game might perform that's going to change. Like, oh, we're going to add that one to it or something. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah is, if one for every quarter, that's four per year. Uh, that would be for about and twenty five games. That's about six years. If you if you, I, I doubt it's gonna plan out to be only one per quarter. But yeah. if we were to like average it out that way, then yeah, that'd be about six years. But that looks like twenty twenty where we had the Last of Us, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, and what is it, Final Fantasy Seven? Yeah, yeah. What else Those were we? like less than two months apart. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a wild lineup, dude. But they said also some smaller games, which surprised me. Yeah, it says uh, the, a mixture of big, small, and different games. So I'm curious to see what di- what they mean by different, that they included that with big and small. Some different genres. Like medium, maybe? I don't know. Like shooters, uh, battle royales, I always feel multiplayer games. I feel nervous about the half of them being new IP, because like, with new IP, like you don't know if it's going to stick. Like You don't know if it's like a home run right out of the bat. Right out of the, you know, right out of the, right out of release. Why does it concern you though? I mean, it's, I mean, to me, it doesn't concern me knowing it's Sony. Like, yeah, I'm a Sony fan, right? But I, I don't know. I guess like I understand why studios prefer to do games like they already have IP for because it's like less work, and you already know like, you have that installed like fan base. Like they, yeah. they're gonna buy it because they already, they already know the brand, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're making new IP, it's just kind of like. Like, is it going to be good? Like, is that magic going to transfer to the next thing? Like, we trust studios, right? Like, there's certain studios that we, like Naughty Dog, um, Sucker Punch, some other ones that, like, we know you're good. You have the track record, but it's like, you're only as good up until you're not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And maybe I'm just, like, being a little, what's the opposite of uh, optimist? I mean, but a little pessimistic, maybe. But I'm just thinking, like, huh, 
new IP, like that's always kind of like a thing where you kind of think about like, what's it going to, is it going to be something like, is it going to be one of those situations like, like who asked for this or like, is it going to be, I'm just wondering like, is it going to be something that's good? Cause like I look the game, the article mentions like Kenna Bridge of Spirits and like, that's a game that just visually looks amazing, but it just gameplay does not like appeal to me whatsoever. It looks okay. The gameplay looks okay to me. It kind of just looks like, okay. I mean, to me, it looks it kinda, like a, a mini horizon. So I was going to say like a mixture of horizon and ratchet. Yeah, exactly. That's where it's like a thinking, platforming, exploring, like, okay. Definitely not a game I'm going to buy right away. Probably want to play, like, after it's gone down in value. But uh, what do you think about that, Johnny? Do you feel good that it's, like, to, to you, yeah, does new if, IP mean, like, a new, like, injection of, like, fresh blood into, like, a, into, like, a system kind of thing? Like, well, if, new stuff to fall in love with? Yeah, of course, I always want new IPs. But, I mean, even if half of those don't pan out, uh, what about Twisted Metal, SOCOM? Uh, Siphon Filter. I don't know if they still own at least Siphon Filter. I'm pretty sure they do. But, d- damn, dude, if, like, 15 of those are original IPs that we already know of, that's wild, dude. Mm. And that's still a lot of damn games. That's true. I guess even if they have, like, misses, they have more hits than misses. So I guess that's not so much an issue. What kind of games, like, that we have not heard of? Because we they mentioned in the article, they mentioned Horizon, they mentioned the Ratchet, they mentioned God of War, they mentioned Gran Turismo. That's like four right there that we know of. Mm-hmm. So half are new IP. So that's like let's say that's like twelve or thirteen, right, out of twenty five. And then four of the ones that are mentioned are already happening. So that means there's still about ten, eight or seven games that are not new IP that are being made. What do mm-hmm. you what do you want those seven to be? I want another Slight Hooper. I want another Slight Hooper. I don't know what's going to happen. I doubt it. I don't know who owns what anymore. That's why I brought up uh, Twisted Metal, Socom, and Siphon Filter. I feel like they could have done uh, that. Was it the Destruction All-Stars? Could have just been Twisted Metal. Oh, I want to... What is it? Uh, Battle Royale. Uh, Like the Smash Brothers? Uh, Oh, Destruction All-Stars? Yeah, I want another one of those. That'd be dope. I I want Sly... I don't really, I know like Siphon Filter is like a classic, but to me, like I never had a lot of like love for that series. So it's mm-hmm. kind of just like whatever. Are the Siphon Filter games that great? Because the last one that came out was like on PSP. No, they I think. were really dope. They were fun, dude. Are they? Okay. Uh, there's also, uh, what is it, Guerrilla Games before Horizon? Killzone? Yeah, Killzone. What is it, Resistance? Fall of Man? Yeah, that's the other one from uh, Insomniac. Mm-hmm. Those are those are series that I think they skip like a generate. Well, Resistance skipped a generation. Killzone was like the launch game for the PS4. Yeah, Killzone, I was thinking about Killzone. Another thing is, a lot of these games might also be uh, VR games. I didn't even think about that. Do you think so? Like, they didn't even mention if they they were or c- couldn't be. I hope it's not strictly VR because I mean, a lot of these games, first-person games, could transition easily to VR, like Resident Evil. Well, speaking of VR, Johnny, that makes a great segue for our next article. <laughs> Uh, this one comes to us from Game Rant. PSVR 2 leak potentially reveals eye tracking, haptic feedback, and more. This article is written, comes to us written by Nicholas Pace. Finally, a name I can pronounce. Nicholas Pace. It says, those looking forward to PSVR 2, again, we don't know if that's the actual name, can get hyped for some new leaks offering details about the next generation device. Even with the recent release of PlayStation 5, it is unknown how the upcoming iteration of the virtual reality headset will perform. From the rumors, it sounds like Sony's PSVR 2 will be packing some notable features under the hood. 
During recent years, a handful of virtual reality devices have released and captured public interest. From Oculus to the HTC Vive, most of the best available headsets aim for PC gamers and titles. In 2016, Sony released an exclusive device, the PSVR, that is compatible with the last generation PS4 and now PS5. But the specs from the initial version will become obsolete as technology improves and the new model is looking to remedy this problem. I gotta scroll down to the next part. In a report from Upload VR, rumors suggest a plethora of details about Sony's upcoming device. First and foremost, the res the resolution of PSVR2 is significant is okay, it's like a typo, is a significant jump from its predecessor. It will now display at 4K or 4000 by 2040 pixels with 2000 by 2040 for each eye. In addition, it includes it includes gaze tracking as well as an adjustment dial for lens separation. That would be great because right now it has it for both. And like my eyes, it's not ideal. Like one of my eyes sees better than the other. So being able to separately adjust them, that would be awesome. To follow along with the DualSense haptic feedback functionality, the PSV2 or PSVR2 will have a motor built into. I'm guessing it gets cut off, built into it, I'm guessing. While Sony has shown off the PSVR2 controllers, there are some additional hardware aspects not mentioned previously. As some may expect, the new model utilizes a USB Type-C allowing it to connect to the PS5 like the DualSense. The cameras built into the device will track the controllers, which should offer some additional benefits unlike the current model. This tracking will allow more freedom of movement and make setup easier. So we're just gonna leave it there because then it kind of trails off into like, like what kind of VR games could they be? We're just gonna leave it there so we don't read the whole article. Did it mention refresh rate? No. All right. Well, it talked about haptic feedback, right? Mm-hmm. So the most fascinating. Is your part, head gonna be shaking? Is that what I'm thinking? <laughs> no. Well, I think the most fascinating part about that for me is that I think it might settle some issues with nausea. Okay. So, I mean, for me, it's a huge bonus because that's my biggest issue with, with VR. Refresh rates? I'm, no, no, not Our just resolution. the refresh rate, but the haptic feedback. It, it can give me a sense of exactly where I'm at, you know? Oh, okay. Like, not enough is anchoring you to that world kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Uh, I'm just thinking when it says mentions the motor in the headset, I'm thinking, like, is like my head going to vibrate? Like, that's not going to feel, that's not going to feel good. <laughs> Uh, it sounds cool though. The eye tracking makes it interesting to me because I wonder if there's like things you can do with just like just by looking. If it's eye tracking, then that means like I'm thinking like like Iron Man kind of stuff where like you can like look at something and like activate it without using buttons. Like you know what I'm saying? Like you can like you toggle mean? things with like your just your iris, your eye. What do you mean? So you blink and you shoot your rockets? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. maybe. But I was thinking more like so you don't have to like push buttons. Like let's say you have like a heads up display that has like a lot of like icons and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, if you just look at something, like, long enough, like, will they trigger it? Like, that'd be cool if we could do that. Like, instead of having to use your hands, like, if your hands are all, like, full of, like, buttons and stuff, like, you can just, like, look at stuff, and the HUD will detect, like, when you're looking at something directly. That sounds a little too good to be true. That's what it sounds like. That's, that's it has eye tracking. Like, why else would it have eye tracking for other than that? Like, what else could you do with eye tracking? Like, what is that technology good for? I think... I know eye tracking is used like in a lot of stuff for people who are like disabled and stuff. Like they can't use their hands. Like there's eye tracking stuff for that. But I know eye tracking is also measured for like people who are like pros at Call of Duty. Like there's devices that measure like, 
you know, people who tend to be better at Call of Duty tend to have like this, like they tend to use like their periphery eyesight, like the edges of their eyes. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering like what kind of technology, what could eye tracking like really improve? And I'm thinking like if you have a busy heads up display, eye tracking would help you with like selecting things like, no, not that. And then you like, look at the thing you want to do. And like if the if it can track it, it knows exactly what you're looking at and you can just like activate stuff for you. Maybe it's just for your HUD. Yeah. Like it'll it'll adjust your HUD accordingly. Because like right now, like when you play most VR games on PSVR, like the menu navigation is very clunky mm -hmm. in VR. Like with your you're trying to figure because you have to like point with your with the control, right? Yeah. And like where the light sometimes isn't li the line doesn't line up exactly at what button you're looking at. Yeah. So if they could just like move things from like man menu navigation and like heads up display stuff to like just eye tracking like that would be like a huge improvement when it comes to like multitasking different things in the game you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. like if you could just like look at the save button and just save without having to like push buttons or trying to like line up my controller with the on-screen prompts that would be like a huge like headache to avoid what do you think about the haptic though Again, haptic feedback, I'm thinking of, like, is it in the headset? It's not like it's in the headset. If it's in the headset, I'm like, I mean, like, light vibration. I'm, I'm thinking that'd be cool if, like, it was, like, just, like, on the side or, like, on the front. And, like, like say, like, you're getting, like, a sense, like, something's, like, about to attack you. And, like, it, like, vibrates lightly on the like side. Like, spidey sense. Kind of, yeah. Like, if you could, like, lightly, like, vibrate, like, so, you know, like, like look to your left kind of thing. Or, like, some kind of, like, sixth sense awareness. Like, I mean, that would be dope. For horror games, it sounds pretty dope. Right? So it's like kind of like some sixth sense, like, awareness. Like, that would be awesome. Yeah. I would love that. I, I can't really think of any other like, use for haptic feedback in the head. Unless it's in the controllers, then that makes sense. But if it's on your headset, like... No, but if, like, you're in a horror game and then you open... Maybe you crash and your head shakes a lot or something. Nah, nah it's a little too heavy. <laughs> but, like, subtle stuff. Like, you know, somebody touches you behind and then makes you look back. Oh. Turn around. Oh. You're scaring me, Johnny. That'd be cool. But scary. I, I would, I would, I would turn off the haptics in that case. <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, this would be useful. Like, let's play. Like, I imagine like you're on like on a river, like on rapids or something, and like you're shaking on one side and like stable on the other. Like, it's like extra feedback, you know, extra sensory feedback. Like if you're on a, if you're like riding on a mountain trail on a bike, or like in a car or any vehicle, really, I feel like haptic feedback would be useful for like crashes and for like detecting collisions and stuff. I can't really see much application on it, except when you get hurt and you take damage and then your head shakes like, Ugh! like, oh yeah, I got hit. Like you're like in a mech suit or something and your head shakes like side to side, like, oh, we took damage. Sounds like an overload. I, I Imagine think... how cool that would be like to have like Pacific Rim or like Gundam, like VR. Yeah, I feel like that's too heavy handed. I, I think it'd be dope for small cues, you know? That's why I mean, like horror games. Like if somebody comes and taps you back, oh, okay, the head, like small prompts, or maybe you hear like you open something on the roof and then you feel the the sensation of like roaches falling on on your skin. You know, I imagine what they could do is like what they do for like TVs with like when you adjust your brightness. I imagine there's an like, option to like adjust your sensitivity for like, like hey, does this bother you? And it's like like it vibrates really hard. And it's like oh, oh okay, you need to go lighter thing. Let's go lighter. Like okay, maybe also for characters because now we have that dope. Um audio right so what if you have characters telling you like hey come this way and you're not just fucking spinning around trying to find your character in the like it's that reminds me you know what would be really cool is in the metal gear solid games whenever snake uses his codec he has like a little thing in his ear that like tells him like that's like where the, the mic is right the vibration thing for the uh -huh. 
And like, if there was like some kind of game like that where you have like a little like like a earpiece in your ear, and like yeah. imagine like it vibrates close to your ear, and like that's how you answer, like that would be so like immersive. Like you tap it, or no, just like it was just like vibrating, and you knew like oh, like, I have an incoming call, or like mm-hmm. just that extra layer of immersion just would like add so much to it. I think. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't that be dope? If it, like 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 Otacon, like, like what's going on? Like like in your ear. That would be dope. That's those are the only things I came up with haptic feedback. I'm sure like if I had more time to think about this, I could come up with more. But like um, I'm just like I'm not gonna just sit here and just try to think and like waste time. So that's what I can. That's all I can think of. The eye tracking could be dope for menu navigation. Haptic feedback. This sounds like next gen tech. I imagine this sounds like it's gonna be a very expensive VR headset now. Because like Oculus and HTC Vive, like they don't have these things already. What do you think? Six hundred. God, I hope not. That's too much. The last one by itself was like 400 at launch. I got mine for 250 and it came with the Skyrim VR vest because mine was like already like three, four years old at that point. Curious to see how they're going to price it. Curious to see what other stuff is not included. I'm still pissed off that it's not wireless, but I kind of got over that at this point. So anyways, I thought that was interesting stuff worth mentioning. Uh, let's move on to our third piece for the day. This one comes to us via PC Gamer, written by Andy Chalk. Again, another easy name for me to read, Andy Chalk. I like that. Ubisoft is going to focus more on high-end free-to-play games in the future. AAA releases will continue, but Ubisoft sees a great opportunity to expand its audiences through free-to-play. This is the actual article now. When Ubisoft announced last week that its next division game, called Heartland, will be free to play, we wondered if it was a sign that the publisher was pursuing the success that Activision has enjoyed with the free-to-play Battle Royale Call of Duty Warzone. The short answer is yes, it is. But its ambition is not limited to Tom Clancy shooters. Ubisoft Chief Financial Officer Frederick Duguay, Duguet said during today's earnings call that the company's previous commitment to release three to four premium AAA games per year is no longer a proper indication of Ubisoft's value creation dynamics. I think they realize because like putting out three to four like high profile games, like usually one or two of those only do well and the other two kind of just like not so well. For example, like Valhalla sold way better than Watch Dogs did. And that's because I think gamers know that well, like Assassin's Creed is like a much more like entrenched value for your buck. Whereas Watch Dogs has kind of been shaky. Wait, the third one already came out for Watch Dogs? Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, man, I lost my place. Oh. Uh, it's no longer a proper indication of Ubisoft's value creation dynamics. Instead, while it will continue to maintain a high cadence of content delivery, including powerful premium and free-to-play new gear releases, the goal is to grow audiences by widening our brand at the top of the funnel. In other words... Convincing more people to try Ubisoft's games by making them free at the entry level. It's a financial decision, Ubisoft CEO Yves Guillemot. I always forget how to pronounce his name. Guillemot, I think. I don't think he pronounced the T. Guillemot said the company's revenues are more and more recurring, referring to player purchases within games that are often free to play and their growing importance compared to single purchase premium games. But Duguay said that the company is not looking to cash in on low-budget work. We are building high-end free-to-play games to be trending toward AAA ambitions over the long term. Uh, we think we have a great opportunity to meaningfully expand the audience of our biggest franchises, Duguay said. 
We've taken the time to learn from what we did last year with hyperspace. We're also learning with the launch we'll be making on Roller Champions. We've been learning a lot with Brawlhalla. How do you know that was Ubisoft? You know that, Johnny? I did not know that. And you love Brawlhalla. I love Brawlhalla. And I was about to say, I can't think of anything that I love from them. We've been learning a lot with Brawlhalla that is rapidly growing, and we think it is now the time to come with high-quality, free-to-play games across all our biggest franchises across all platforms. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to leave it there for a second. Johnny, what do you think about this move? Because like my, my initial reaction was like, oh, no, like we're not going to get like our yearly Assassin's Creed games that I love. We're not going to get like more like Far Cry. The game, games I do enjoy, but it sounds like we're still going to get those... But the focus will still be on expanding like free to play games. Uh, Johnny, you play Brawlhalla, which I understand is a free to play game. Well, like game. I said before, I really can't think of anything that I love from Ubisoft. And then you mentioned Brawlhalla, but Brawlhalla is already free to play. Exactly. So like it do- it doesn't no, matter to me. They're using they that as an example of like how like that that model financial model has worked well for them. Have you put any money? Does, is there no. money to put in Brawlhalla? Yeah, you could buy skins and all that, but no, I, I don't do that. Are they like cool skins or no? Do they have like no, they license have, ones? They have features like WWE. Like they'll have, I think, The Rock or... The Rock is in Brawlhalla? Yeah, they have some wrestlers, I think. I didn't know that. Um, and That'd be have... dope. I imagine he's like one of the like, fist players, right? Imagine. Fist players? Because they have like different weapon types, right? Like the spears and the guns and stuff. Oh, I haven't played it in a while, so I don't know what... What weapon type they have. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, they have, I think, some sounds of feature, like, other cartoons or films. Uh, it's been a while since I've That's played cool. it. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I really like it because of the, the gameplay. Right. You know, it it's not about the aesthetics at all for this game or the features. It's just strictly the gameplay. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, what game do you like where you're like, I hope they don't, they don't change this? I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't even want to know what a... A free-to-play Assassin's Creed would look like because that just sounds like go on a mission. Oh, wait for your energy to restore. But are they saying all their games are gonna be like? No, that? no, no, no. Of course not. No, they said they'll still. It says AAA releases will continue, but Ubisoft sees a great opportunity to expand its audience through free-to-play. So it sounds to me, and I could be wrong, that they're gonna keep doing the game, the games that we enjoy, the games that I like. But they're also going to be making side games that are part of those franchises, but are gonna be strictly free-to-play versions of those games. Oh, like Call of, uh, Call of Duty. Right, so you have Black Ops and Cold War and all Modern Warfare with the campaign and the main multiplayer. But then you have Warzone where you have, like, Warzone is a free mode to play. And there's, like, a lot of, like, it has, like, the loot boxes where it has, like, the, you can buy, like, bundles and, like, bat the season passes and stuff and all that attached mm-hmm. to it. So it sounds like they're kind of doing the same thing. It sounds like, like, they're seeing... It sounds like a good idea to me. It does. I, I, or initially, I approached this article with a lot of doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. But the more I think about it, it's kind of like, well, that's where the money's at, right? That's what they're going to do. And like, unless the market people who are actively paying for these things change their habits, like the market's going to be determined by the consumers, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's money being poured into this and people are going to keep, buy- I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and say like I never bought like stuff for free to play games. I have like I bought, I've paid for bundles for Call of Duty Warzone because like. They have those cool like anime skin packs for the guns, and like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend like I don't buy those sometimes because they look cool, which they do. Yeah. So I mean, one of the main questions for me is when we get uh, like a Sony game or something that's her- um, heavy in narrative, the game ends, right? It, like, yes. It's that's it. But a game that's 
that's a uh, has like a bigger universe. Or, yeah, like a Brawlhalla or or uh, what is it called? Does Brawlhalla have a campaign? No, it I don't doesn't. think so. Right, but then you get the Fortnites and then the Apex and then the Call of Duties that right. never fucking end. Right, right. How many of those games are gonna be? Am I gonna be playing some simultaneously? Yeah, that, that you're right. That brings up an issue where it's like how sustainable is this model across like not everybody can put out a battle royale and expect it to be a success right because mm-hmm. it's like there's only so many ongoing li- was it called a live or ongoing games what is, what is the term for it but like living kind of like these games right like they expect you to keep up with the story like every season and stuff yeah our mind share is only so limited by what we can like consume and take right yeah i'm saying i don't want these companies to think like oh that's where the money's at and then they shift their whole like uh their whole process into this their whole marketing brand around the specific money yeah maker. i mean they got to come in like really fucking hard with and it. then they end up going broke and stuff and then they, everything collapses because of them i don't think they're gonna go broke but no but individually they might stuff like that well for example uh gearbox did the game that's very similar to overwatch uh do you remember that one no i'm trying to remember what it was called like you see it's so forgettable i can't even remember its name but it was like they had Gearbox, the guys who did like Borderlands, like they had the same uh, game similar to Overwatch, where it was like, here's these characters, and each of these characters has like a different like skill set, and like it's like a the same kind of game like Overwatch is, where you do like team based you know combat and stuff, but like each character has like a different like quirk or stuff like that. They did the same thing with uh, I can't remember the name of the game, but it launched like around the same time as Overwatch did, and people preferred Overwatch. Mm-hmm. And so this other game like completely had like no support, like no one played it, and it just ended up being like shut down after like a couple months because it's just like it'll like you just timed it wrong and you came out the same time as like this major competitor did, and they did way better. Yeah, because it's if it's not substantially better than the next game, if it doesn't capture play, yeah. how much money are they really gonna make? Yeah, if it can't capture like the public's like mind share or interest. Like the big dogs, like your Fortnites, your War Zones, your uh, uh, Apex, and all those. And then, like you're kind of just you're pursuing something that's like you just never stood a chance to begin with. Like unless you had like a really awesome concept and like you got the right like that too. They got to come up with some dope new mechanics too. Yeah, because people are gonna go to what's familiar, right? Like if yeah. they have a skill set in Fortnite, they're not gonna suddenly jump for this game that's got weaker mechanics. Oh, well, I mean, some people kind of did, like, Valorant was, like, one of those PC, is one of those that, that came out, like, recently that's doing pretty well from what I understand, and, like, that one just, because it combines, like, Counter-Strike with, like, some other gameplay, so it kind of... It was innovative. Yeah, like, it has, like, some kind of, like, weird, not magic, but it's, like, kind of, like, a build, skill-based, ability-based kind of shooter. Yeah. So that one's just, like, different enough. And also, like, the marketing behind it, they had really great marketing where they had, like, a lot of, like, the famous, like, Twitch personalities playing the game. And you can only join the beta if, like, you happen to get invited from, like, somebody who was, like, already had the game. So, like, they marketed right, properly. Okay. So, it's a mixture of, like, timing, the right marketing, and just having your game, like, stand out from the rest of not being, like, just another Battle Royale or another, like, hero-based uh, shooter. You kind of have to find, like... It's really the perfect storm of things that just have to line up. And I'm hoping like these companies understand that like not everybody who puts out a battle royale should expect to be a success because you're not. It's just it's just not gonna happen that way. Mm-hmm. So uh hopefully Ubisoft it seems to be smart. It seems like they're approaching this where like they're not completely abandoning what's gotten them to this point. But they're gonna start slowly I imagine they I trust Ubisoft enough to know 
with Brawlhalla and the other games that were mentioned in the article, like if they know what works in those games and they know how to apply that mechanic to other games like across the board. Yeah, but Brawlhalla sounds like an accident, dude. It's such a small game. Brawlhalla is for it's basically been around forever. But it's basically it's, Smash Brothers, but without the Nintendo properties. Yeah, but that game doesn't have that much content though. Yeah, it's I played like, it for it's been a little out for bit. so long. And then they, they don't really produce all that much. So if they know if they know how to market this right, maybe make the right deals with like collaborations. Like like Fortnite is the master of like collaborations when it comes to like yeah. Here's the freaking was it Alien and Ripley, Alien, Predator, Batman. Here's here's uh, Kratos. Here's Master Marvel. Chief. Like yep. they're so good when it comes to like keeping the game fresh with like new stuff to they do. They have celebrities in it, right? Yeah. So if they can, so if Ubisoft can learn enough lessons and like diversify and make it so it's different enough and still good without abandoning like their old like the hardcore loyal audience this might pan out well for them i think we'll see again as with all things time will tell so we'll see about that johnny we're about half hour through a little faster than i expected honestly we're only like at 33 minutes did you want to talk a little bit more what would you i told you about my impression impressions of resident evil 8 you haven't gotten that far in the game, but no doubt you've gotten you've basically messed with the core components of the game, the mechanics. What do you think about the game visually, I, I really aesthetically? Say, I really can't say enough to judge it because I like I know, the first I, iteration impression. Of, of this uh, first person thing. The RE seven one. Yes, um, but I think that's my biggest gripe for this game that it's first person. I feel the, I feel the first per the camera and all the action-y aspects of RE8 I feel are slightly more intense than RE7. Okay. Because Resident Evil 7 is much more of a close, like, claustrophobic, slower game. Mm -hmm. I think you're right with RE8 feels much more like Resident Evil 4 where it's more like action, action, and stuff is going on. And, like, RE7, I feel like you never dealt with more than, like, three enemies on screen at a time. Mm -hmm. RE8, uh, you definitely deal with more than three enemies at a time several times. So well, it feels like you have to be quicker. The AI just seems not that great. No. Right, How do yeah. You feel about the AI. They're not clever. They just kind of just come at you. They do the thing they where don't... like they automatically juke when you like aim yeah, at them. Yeah, it looks stupid. But that's like the game's way of kind of like so you can't get off a great shot like right out right away. It's kind of like pseudo intelligence, not quite intelligent, but it makes you think like they're Yeah, and then what's his name? Ethan isn't He's not a compelling character. He's not a Chris. He's not a Leon or a Claire or a Joe. They have, Resident Evil has so many great characters, and Ethan is just way at the bottom of that. I agree. I agree. He's definitely bottom tier. Although, what he goes through and what he's capable of is kind of impressive, but personality-wise, he's kind of just... But then the things that happen bland. to Ethan, like we've, we've talked about him getting his arms cut and all that stuff, right? When that stuff happens, I don't really feel it. I'm just like, okay, Ethan has his fucking arm cut. I don't feel it, but imagine like... Leon losing a limb like that, it would feel a lot more personal, right? Well, there is an in-game story reason. There's an in-game reason for why Ethan has, can take so much abuse. Yeah, but do you feel it emotionally? Like, no, of Ian course not. Hurt? Like, no, because it's kind of it's, it's like a running gag at this point. We're like, oh, of course, Ethan's hands again get like. Yeah, why? Damaged. Why does it become a meme? That's it, not... it just is. That's Ethan's character. I feel like he's kind of just disposable that way. He's not a very well-written character. He's just kind of there. He's kind of like... Because it's the first person. He's kind of just like the... What you call it? Like the avatar for the player, I guess you could say. He doesn't take like an active role in the story. Just He doesn't make things happen. Things happen to him. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's hard to connect with Ethan because 
you don't really see his face, right? Or am I missing that in the game? No, you don't. So you don't see his face. There's not scenes like where he's in front of the mirror and he's... The mirrors are always like blacked out or something. Yeah, yeah. that's odd. Uh, so yeah, trouble connecting with the main character and AI isn't great. What do you think about the visuals though? No, the visuals are fucking great, dude. Like all the density and everything. Mm-hmm. Like fucking crown molding everywhere or Yeah. It, it looks great. Or like we talked about this last time when we played the demo when like the the, the that that mural with the guys with the swords fighting each other with the with the chandelier and it's like mm-hmm. I think oh it's not a texture, like it's not just like a a layer. Like it's actually like modeled out yeah. like with yeah. the with the individual characters and stuff. I thought that was cool. Yeah, a lot of that stuff, it looks like it came straight from, like, ZBrush directly into the game. But, um, ZBrush? That's the way you model. Oh, okay. The way you model your stuff. Uh, remember watching the trailer for um, Unreal Engine? Mm-hmm. A couple months ago? Yeah. They talked about how they took those models and they put them directly in there and they, they it wasn't necessary to scale, scale it down, you know? Right, right. Uh, but it looks like that in the game. Mm-hmm. Where it's just it looks a lot of things look like they're directly from the models. Mm, okay, got you. It's not just like plastered in as like yeah. some kind of like skin. Yeah, they're or still not like crazy dense like you would see on the PS5, but well, even then, like I still see like I'll see like certain rocks, and I'm like, oh, that texture doesn't yeah, look that yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Like certain, you know, like the debris, and you mm-hmm. look at it like, mm, I can tell you didn't take you didn't take your time with that one. Yeah, you thought we were just gonna walk by that shit. Yeah. But, like, the things that the game wants you to focus, like, it's, like, furniture, or like, lighting, or, like, chandeliers, or, like, things like that, like, mm-hmm. those things look really great. Look really amazing. Yeah. I mean, the voice acting is, is cool. It's um, all right. Yeah, I mean, it, I wouldn't call it top tier, but it's, it passes. It's good. Yeah, it's not, it's not terrible. It's not, like, it's not like the PS1 era of Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah. So, interesting. All right. You mentioned the Unreal Engine, Johnny. Did you see that story about how like, the next Gears of War game is going to use, like, Unreal Engine 5? No, what are they using now? No, that's what it's going to use. Well, right now, I think it's 4. I think it's 4 they're using. But I guess they're making that leap to, like... You know how we saw, like, that video with the with a girl going through, like, that canyon, and then she jumps and flies at the end with, like, lighting the rocks and everything? Yes. So they're using that for Gears of War moving on forward. Okay. So that should be interesting. I know I'm not the biggest Gears of War fan, but, like, Gears of War has historically, like... It's been weird. It's, like, it looks good, but at the same time, it looks ugly as a game at the same time. We're, like, Gears? Yeah, because it looks good, but it's always been like grays and browns and kind of just like blah. Oh, it's a strap? Just the environment's always kind of looked like... I thought uh, it looks pretty... I thought it looked pretty good, usually. I mean, if you go to like the... Graphically, versions, graphically, it's always looked great, but I'm saying like it's always looked very dreary, very like muddled. Like the color, the palette, color palette has always just been kind of like, uh, like Yeah, but like I mean, sad when stuff. you mention it though, it's not a surprise though, because like Fortnite's going to be using the, the new Unreal Engine. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I haven't played Fortnite on PS5. I don't know if they've done that thing where they like they have like that upgrade yet for for, for PS5. For Fortnite? Yeah. I I don't know. I'm assuming it runs at 60. At 60 now. I don't know if they're doing 4K. Doubt it. Mm. But yeah, eventually they're going to use a uh, Unreal Engine in uh, 2022. Interesting. Interesting stuff. All right, Johnny. So let's go ahead. Let's not uh, stall anymore <laughs> or stall at all. Let's get into... All right, every drawer. The pitch. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't know at this point already, the pitch is a segment that Johnny and I do where we choose, we have two jars. Each jar is filled with rolled up pieces of paper. These jars represent two different things. One is theme, like uh, World War II, the ocean, space, 
movies. The other jar represents uh, genres for video games, so first-person shooters, racing, fighting, sports, RPGs. We take one from each jar, put them together, and we try to pitch a game based around those two core concepts. Johnny, what did you get? Let's see. Okay, can work with this. You got puzzle. This jar smells weird. It smells like chicharron. Did you? Same smell it, there. smell it, it smells weird. What does that smell, Johnny? It smells like plastic to me. It smells like chicharron. It smells like pork. So I got, have... I got Asia, what do you got? Puzzle. An Asian puzzle game. That's tough. So I think we're gonna do something a little different this time. All right. I think we're gonna use a modifier. So Johnny came up with this concept last week. We kind of, kind of just talked about it for a bit. Where we throw in a third mechanic just to spice things up. Johnny, what is the modifier in this case? Well, just pick a number and then uh, I'll see what the modifier is. My number I like is seven. Okay, that's tough. Uh, relic. What does that mean? I don't know, but we it has to be in the. Could we use another modifier? Okay, let's go with. Because I don't know what that means. What, Choose... did you, what did you get? Asia. All right. So let's just go with transmutation. Okay, this is gonna be hard because the game we don't have to do a modifier. Okay, it's but you chose puzzle, you right? Yeah, but I feel like we need some constraints. That's that's the the point of modifiers. So we have a little more constraints and we're able to focus on the story. Okay, not just the story, but the mechanics. My idea for this would be if it's Asia and puzzle, I'm thinking like a point and click adventure set in J Japan. Or maybe China. A point and click. So point and click games are kind of like your um if you ever play like Sam and Max or like Maniac Mansion mm -hmm. or uh The Secret of Monkey Island, uh Broken Sword. They're like the old style PC games where like your character was on screen and you would point at you would click on things and you would walk over and like interact with things. And like there's usually there are usually puzzles though, like you have to like you have key items in your inventory, and it's like, can I use that on that? And I go to like, oh, no, like that doesn't work or something. Or have you ever played like L.A. Noir? That's kind of like a similar. It's like the old style doing video games, like back in the late '80s, early '90s, where your character was like interacting with different environments, and you would literally click on it with your mouse, and he would walk over to where where you clicked. Have you ever played any of these kind of games? Yes, and I'm just not into them. I remember playing these games. They're not back, that popular anymore. Back like. In 98, right? Probably. When, when I still had AOL. That sounds about right. Yeah. So I'm not into that. I'm not at least into that type of puzzle game. Okay, what kind of puzzle can we do that still makes sense with Resident the Evil type of puzzle. Asia. Okay. So something a little more dynamic, still 3D. Uh, okay, I'm thinking what if you're at a museum after hours? Okay. And this museum has like this Asia, Chinese, maybe Japanese, Korean, like, wing of the section of the museum why don't we just pick a spot japan china i, I i'm very biased towards japan just because like i've been there and because i like the food and stuff so but you're familiar with japan, i'm more right? familiar yeah, yeah yeah all right let's go with japan okay so let's say we're at the museum could be like the getty or whatever and you're there after hours and maybe like you have to well okay so right now we're gonna choose like the the theme do you want it to be a kind of like, like you're a cat burglar, like raking in to get something? Or do you want it well, to be like, or do you want it to be like an archaeologist who's trying to discover mystery after hours? Well, earlier we had a, a modifier and that was a relic. So that really just fits in with, with the theme. Okay, so we go with the relic. There's a specific relic we have to like solve puzzles to get to. 
Mm-hmm. Do you want it to be like we're like we have like all like we have good motives, or are we maybe just trying to make a quick buck? I say we should have good motives. Okay, so we could be like an archaeologist who's like I'm trying. I know there's like a secret panel behind this thing, but no one lets me get near it because they don't want me to damage the relic. But I know it's there. But I could just you know like prove it. So I'm gonna sneak in after hours. So you're kind of like a Nathan Drake. Yeah. You have good intentions, but you're like, I'm going to bend a couple rules here. Nathan Drake. It, kind of roguish. Yeah, let's make a character like a rogue, kind of like smart-ass kind of character like that. All right. Kind of like a Harrison, kind of like an Indiana Jones in a way, which is basically what Nathan Drake is. Mm-hmm. And we know there's like this relic. Uh, it's like a, I'm thinking of like a portrait of like an emperor or something. And on the back, there's like a secret that you can only see like if you rub it with like acid or water or like lime water or lemon water or something. Okay, how about... But no one will let you touch it during business hours because they think, like, you're going to damage the piece. So, what what exactly are you? Are you a chemist, archaeologist? Oh, you could have, like, a... Well, most archaeologists have some background because it's a science thing, so you have some kind of background knowledge in, like, earth, like, like, hum- like in organic chemistry and stuff like that, too. Mm-hmm. So, that means you can probably make things like explosives. Sure, I guess. I'm trying really to bump to. the scale of this thing. You're trying to turn this into action adventure. Yes. So and so, like the puzzles can be like the museum's booby traps. Like maybe there's like a laser grid. Yeah. Okay. Maybe there's like maybe you, you can't access the thing right away. Like you like solve like how to remove the glass case. There's like a time code or like a uh, what do you call it? Like, those like safes that have like the little thing where you like, turn the knob. What's it called? Like it's like a lock, right? And it has like a knob or something. Okay. You had to like listen for like the click that sounds different. Like there's a lot of ways to implement like puzzles in with Asia. Like if it's like. Okay, you finally got the relic. Now it's time to like go to Asia now, or go to go to Japan now, right? Yeah, I was trying to figure out what the connection to to Japan is because it's I basically was also, a Japanese Nathan Drake, Uncharted. <laughs> I was also thinking about uh, like China, right? What's that? Um, I think it was an emperor. They said they enclosed them in a bunch of mercury, like a river of mercury. Oh, okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, to so, preserve his body or something. Yeah, so I feel like. We want to explore something major like that. You know, okay, like so we hit, there's hints that it exists, and it's a giant set piece. To me, at least the way they describe it, it's a giant. What if it's set like piece. a transcontinental adventure? Like it takes us to Japan, but then like we find out like all oh, this really like leads us to China now, kind of thing. Where it's that's like, cool. So we like something that made its way across the ocean, kind of thing. And we got to go to this to a site like a what is it? The Terracotta Soldiers. Okay. And right. we got to figure out which one of those damn soldiers has, has oh, a key to the next Oh, that'd be great. Like, there's like a puzzle where it's like, we know it's one of these soldiers, but we can't break them all because then we will attract like attention or like alert. So we, got, we can only break like the back of one of them that has like a key or something inside. And it's like, we have these clues based off like, like look for the one with the, this color or like look for the one with this, uh, yeah, yeah, like mustache or this one's like a shorter than the rest or something like that. We're mm-hmm. like, it's like a trial and error kind of thing. Yeah. But it's a good set piece, though, because if somebody comes through with some guns, we're going to break a lot of shit. Uh, are, are we going like, to pose like a terracotta soldier and just like hope they don't notice us? or <laughs> Just roll in the clay and then just stand up straight? That could happen. That could work. Hey, that could work. I think which one is the game thing? That, oh, uh, the Predator game. Mm-hmm. You can roll in the mud and like the Predator can't see you anymore because like, the thermal vision won't work. But rolling in the mud, takes like, it's like time intensive. I don't want to make this guy like an action hero though. Oh, like okay. he's like a Drake, but he's more bra- brain. He's more reserved. He's more brainy. He's less street smart. More 
Yeah, all he could really do was run, and then eventually he might he might shoot a few guns. But most of his thing is like, okay, he's kind of a chemist, so he can make explosives. So he's more like acids. Tom Hanks' character in like the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, kind of. yeah. Or he's not like military experience, but he's not afraid to throw a punch here or there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Indiana Jones kind of works too, right? He's not superhuman. He's not doing these right. Crazy... He solves puzzles and like riddles and stuff, and gets to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah, so what do you think his relic is? What is he looking for? Like, does it have to have super... I imagine you have to have like some kind of supernatural property for the story to be good, right? That's what makes it worth it. Yeah, it can't just be, like, monetary value. No. Uh, I don't know, like, something... Some kind of, like... It's like a roll of silk that, like, makes people invisible or, like, something that's like, oh, we can't let this fall in the wrong hands kind of thing. Yeah. This really just sounds or like... We're... We, or what if we take a... An original story, and then we just give it some twists. Like you know, cradles, they they insert cradles into this Greek mythology and now Norse mythology. What if we like take Jesus, and he was originally from like Asia, and there's something about his journey. And as long as it still for... fits with the theme of puzzle in Asia, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, and then the relic is actually the original Ark of the Covenant. Oh, and somehow I made its way to like China or something. Yeah, that'd yeah, be cool. That's where it, where it really began. I like that. I like that. Yeah. And he just left that clues behind for like people who are like worthy of finding it or something like that. Mm -hmm. So what's the timeline on this? This seems like a modern kind of game. I mean, like the so present day. Yeah, this sounds like the kind of thing like you're like hopping around like continents and like cities and like I imagine you have to have the tools. Like, what the first thing we mentioned is a museum, so this has to be like in the last hundred years or so, right? Mm -hmm. So I think in modern, just because you have more tools and like things to play with, yeah, I feel like that would be best. Uh, it doesn't need to be like a '80s or '90s period piece. So this antagonist, I think it's uh, is it a competitor, like a, a greedy professor, or it could be. I mean, that's what Uncharted does. It's always a competitor, but it's usually for money. Yeah. So let's make him a competitor, and this competitor has has all this stuff like a. He has Nobel Peace Prizes. Let's make. I always like. Ten of them, I always like it when like the villain is like the mirror opposite of like the same person. Like mm -hmm. let's make it like oh like they came from the same graduating class of the same university or something. Yeah. But this guy was like he was always in it for like the money and the fame. Yeah, he's got the money and the fame, but he doesn't have like the family and the friends. Yeah, and he just needs like one big like huge like payoff or one big huge thing to like submit and like his legacy and that's like what he's going for yeah like his his legacy is brittle and this is the one thing that would make kind of, or break him yeah okay well, let's give him an eye patch for no reason just eye make patch him, make him sinister looking <laughs> I don't know, i'm thinking of the guy from like uh i'm thinking of like um the guy from austin powers the his that's too direct though that's, i know that's I know. too let's make him a little more human i was thinking very james bond like that's why it's heavy. Unless you want to go with heavy action, then I'm down with that. Nah, okay, just make them normal looking. All right. It's just like when people are normal looking, they're forgettable. That's why. Like when I think of like Uncharted, like okay, I don't remember who the first villain was. I can't remember that. The second guy, the Dragovich, I can remember him because he's big, bulky, and a shotgun, and like he's bald and he has like a mm -hmm. scar on his face. Like that's memorable. Yeah, the third one was Margot, and I only remember her because she's an old blonde lady. Yeah. Like with business suits like that's what stood out for her was like her sinister suits and like her hench like she was just like a very unassuming old woman and that's what made her stick out in a way yeah and then like in fourth it, number four it's that I don't remember the guy's name I don't remember what he looks like but I, I don't know his name but he's he's similar to the second guy yeah 
And also the antagonist is like your brother. Kind of, sort of, not really, sort of. But it's not. He's not the main one, though. He's like your secondary kind of. Well, there's a lot of characters because there's a guy that broke you out of jail. Right? Oh, wasn't uh, the girl who you fight with over t- like re- you have recurring fights oh, with her? Yeah. Nadine. Uh, Nadine. Yeah. yeah. See, she is memorable, right? Because yeah, she, because you had like three different fights with her, and like she kind of just sticks out, just because like well, there's no like really black characters in the game. Yeah, it's also that accent. Yeah. Nadine's accent. Yeah. Or like Chloe, I guess too. Chloe sticks out. She's not a villain, but she sticks out to me. You know what? I feel like let's make the antagonist. Should we make her like a, a Nadine? But she's smart. Nadine was smart. Was she? No, well, she has a company. She's like a, a military. She's a mercenary, player. basically, yeah. yeah. So, what, the same thing? Like, it's a, a mercenary hired by someone who's like... No, no, no. I think Nadine should, Nadine should still be, like, a professor. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the thing who is... Who happens like, to have, like, a martial background? Well, maybe you can't tell that she's exactly, necessarily your enemy. She's kind of like your colleague that you're cool with, and then later on you find out, like, oh, this oh, they're playing movie. the long game kind yeah. of thing. Okay, yeah, so it's sort of a mystery. That's kind of like National Treasure. Like you see National Treasure with with Nicolas Cage. Uh, it's been so long. It's a similar premise where he, like one of the guys was helping him find the thing he's looking for is like like ends up betraying him like at the beginning of the movie. I like that plot. And he's like, like, okay, like I know enough now. You told me everything up to this point. I know how to do the rest on my own, and then he like traps him like for him to die. Yeah, let's go with that plot. Okay. Like somebody stabs you in the back, you're you're kind of homies with. Like you get you told this person a little too much about like what like what comes next kind of stuff. Like they know enough to get you like to the end of the game kind of thing without your help. Because mm-hmm. like they know way too much. You divulge too much information to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I mean, we got a good plot, antagonist, protagonist, uh, mechanics. What does the game play like? I mean, I want to, I want the focus to still remain on puzzles. I want, like, at least 30% of the game to be puzzles. No, for sure. I want a ton of puzzles. Because that's, like, the main thing we're going on. But you can't do more than, like, 50 because then it's just, like, uh, I feel like it becomes monotonous. Yeah. And, like, not really fun. So I want, I want, puzzles have to be a core mechanic of the thing. So, like, and I want like a, Resident Evil style puzzles. Like, no, early sure, yeah. PS1 era Resident Evil. I like uh, the variation of Resident Evil because it's, like, all right, put this chemical with this chemical and then mix them together. Yeah, we're There's making that. the... To kill the plant, right? Yeah, but yeah. I, I also want the simple puzzles like, all right, push this bookshelf, climb on this, grab the diamond off the yeah. statue. Pressure so, switches and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or it could be like, all right, there's this crane over here, take this box, move it over here onto the boat. You have to rotate these statues, they have to look at each other a certain way kind of thing. Yeah, some, uh, like you said, lasers... Maybe, right. maybe like, move mirrors around to reflect light. Like yeah, certain light way. puzzles are dope. Uh, what are the puzzles? We can do that. You could easily adapt that for, like, temples or, like, for museums and stuff like that. Some puzzles with weights. Like, move this statue here. Did well, you did you play Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Johnny? Yeah. Do you remember when you were playing as, like, younger Lara Croft when she has the puzzles around her house? Like, the, there's, like, a library yeah, yeah, yeah. section. Uh-huh. And, like, she's going around her house, and, like, for some reason, she just has, like, all these, like, layout puzzles in her house, like, for, like, moving knights around and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you could just adapt that, I think, like, to a museum or, like, a temple setting, and, like, it'll still make sense in the world. Who's yeah. making this game? I can be, um... All right, oh, oh, I'm sorry. So, we focus, you say, like, a huge part is puzzles. Is it... Does open combat, is that, like, a thing we're going for, or is it more like Metal Gear, where, like, you don't want to go into open combat? I feel like it should be very limited. I, the thing is, I want, I still want big set pieces. 
So we can have like the, the train section in Uncharted and the, the plane, train, the airplane, those section. big moments. I want those giant moments. I feel like you can do that without having too much combat, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I want you to be. I want you to still feel very constrained in, in the things that you can do personally, because you're still just a human. You know? So are we putting like quick time events in this? I'm not really into quick time. That's the best way to do like those set piece things, though. Like just like, staying ahead of the disaster. All right, just not heavy, except on the big set pieces. All right, let's let's do some quick time. Like what? Run towards the camera, kind of thing, or like you know. Yeah, those are dope too. Like, like Tomb Raider does that too. Remember yeah, the, yeah. when the disaster starts happening? Like there's a flood, maybe, uh -huh. or there's a giant fire behind you, and the building is collapsing, or like the ceiling's collapsing on you, and you have to find like the way out, and then like. I mean, you can't figure it out. Like, it's very forgiving where you can just try again until you figure out what you're supposed to do kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think... Uh, is Who's making Tomb Raider? Crystal Dynamics? Yes. Under right. Square Enix, yeah. I, let's go with Crystal Dynamics. The name? Is that what we're thinking of? Yeah, what do we go with for the name? Okay, it has to be something that's not offensive. It still <laughs> works. Cause like Asia puzzles. Asia puzzles. Like the Chinese finger trap? I don't know. That wouldn't work. Unless there's an like, actual finger trap in the game. I'm trying to think of what those names have. Tomb Raider, Uncharted, Indiana Jones, and the Temple, or whatever, whatever. There should be, like, a sense of, like, mystery or adventure in the title, no? Like, a sense of, like, like limited, like, unli unlimited discovery or something like that. Or, like, ancient discoveries, secrets of the past. I feel like secrets of the past could work. Because that's, like, a book title. Secrets of the past? Because it sounds, it sounds like it would be, like, a book title. Okay, well, I don't know how to put the puzzle thing in there. Like, not like Resident Evil. You play a bunch of puzzles, but you have no idea. That's not in the title. Not. The title doesn't give you that. Yeah. But I think it should describe action because it's going to sell, right? You, okay. you want to sell a fuckload of copies. So when you put action adventure, they tend to sell pretty well, right? Hmm. Excavation. And it's about relics, money, intrigue, all that. So I think. Something with like a thief in the title or something. Like how about Fatal Fortune? Ooh, I love that. Right? I love that. Fatal it kind of describes the action, like the pursuit of this this mystery. You get that sense of danger, and like right. there's riches at the end, and yeah, like yeah. I like that. And it's right. it's got a it's got a it's um what's it called? It sounds a, good. Too. Alliteration. Sounds... They both start with like F F like yeah, back and yeah. forth. Fatal fortune. And when you have alliteration, we have like two words that start with more than the same with the same letter. Like it helps you like remember it. That's why, like, Spider-Man is Peter Parker and Bruce Banner. And I think Matt marketing is there. I yeah, like, yeah, I like that. I like that. The literary device works. It's a great choice of words. Fatal Fortune. I like... I, we got it. That's... Slap it on the box. All right. So, Crystal Dynamics. So, that's the game Fatal right Fortune. I love it. Let's go with that, Johnny. All right. Anything else on... I don't know. That's all I can think of. I mean, we never came up with a name for the character, but I guess it doesn't have to have a name. He can just be, like, generic adventurer guy or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're good with that. So, uh, if that's it, do you have anything else you want to add before we end it? That's it. I'm good. Sorry. All right. Sounds like a wrap. So, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully you uh, enjoyed today's episode. Uh, we ask that if you enjoyed the content, if you like what we do and you like listening to us, uh, please go ahead and use whichever uh application you use for listening to our podcast give us a rate a star a thumbs up whatever it is that your application for podcast uses to rate we ask that you use that for us give us a favorable rating we would appreciate that it goes a long way in helping us out with uh discoverability and stuff like that and uh we would appreciate that if you would do that for us 
Uh, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or anything you just want to throw in there, uh, whether about Johnny or me or the show as a, as a whole, uh, go ahead and send us those inquiries at duosensepodcast at yahoo.com. Again, that is duosensepodcast at yahoo.com. And since that is a wrap, I think we're going to end right there. So thank you very much. Drive safely and take care and keep your ears open for our next episode next week. Goodbye. Take care, guys.